I hope you'll forgive. Instead of uh, uh, standing for a scripture reading, I'm going to kind of read it as we go in the sermon. What I want to talk to you about this morning is communion. Now you know that, that we are planning to, and we're in the midst of, practicing communion weekly as a body during this, this season of Easter. And I wanted to take an opportunity to, to kind of dive into it, to look at it. What does the scripture say is happening when we take communion together? Hey, I imagine communion is a very different experience for each of us. Perhaps you're someone for whom it's a, a very deeply moving time. You're very aware of, of how special and important it is. And you experience that each time. Perhaps, perhaps you think that you're supposed to, but you just don't really connect with it. Or maybe for you, it's just that, that short, quiet time we take in service every now and then where you get a, a little bit of a snack during, that, during the middle of the service. Whatever communion is for you, some of us will connect with it deeply because some of us are kind of wired to, to grab hold of a, a powerful symbol like this and to be moved by it. And for others, it's something that we may not ever really understand how, how other people find it to be so moving, but it is something that our Lord commanded us to do. And so we do it in honor and remembrance of him. Now, the season that we're in is called Eastertide. And Eastertide lasts for 50 days. It's kind of the Easter season. And we kind of talked about Lent beforehand and just the, the value of giving something up, right, to, to, to be able to fix our heart's attention on the Lord so that whenever we miss the thing that we gave up, we would take that as an opportunity to pray. Well, if you think about the, the idea of fasting as part of, of the process of transformation in the heart of a Christian, you think of it kind of like getting in shape, right? When, when you're trying to get in good shape, you have to give things up, right? All the things that you're not supposed to eat that aren't good for you, right? You, you give those up. Fasting is, in a way, a little bit like that. We, we set something aside, and it fixes our heart on Jesus. But, but you can't just give things up. If you want to get in shape, you have to start adding things too. You have to exercise. You have to, you have to do things, right? During the Easter tide, Easter season, instead of giving something up like you did for Lent, I'd love to encourage you to start something new. That's what we as a church are doing with communion uh, for this time, but perhaps an extra devotional time during your day, or, or perhaps prayer with your family at night before bed. Just something that will regularly call your heart's attention to the Lord. And of course, when the Easter season is over, you can feel free to continue it if you would like to, or you can, without any guilt or anything like that, set it down. But it is a good time to pick up an extra practice. Now, when uh, uh, Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter morning, the New Testament talks about him being the first fruits of something. That something is called the new creation, right? The book of Revelation talks about the new heaven and the new earth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. This idea of new creation is, is throughout the New Testament. It's especially in the Apostle Paul. And for the sermon series... Uh, at this time, we're wanting to really kind of focus on this idea 
in the New Testament, the new creation. And so we're calling it, we're calling our sermon series Recreated. And you're going you're to probably hear that each week about what it means because of Easter, how something is different for us. And so today what we're talking about is what does communion mean, especially in light of Easter? And as we go through this series, we're going to be in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And I don't know when the last time you've read through 1st and 2nd Corinthians is, but Paul talks about the resurrection life. He talks about the importance of Easter over and over again in those letters. And so I very much recommend that you read them as we go through them on Sunday mornings. So there's a couple of problems with preaching a sermon about communion. Communion is, is one of those things that there's just so much to say about, and there's just no way to say all the things. And in fact, if there are parts of this that are really important to you, almost certainly I'm not going to say all of them, and I apologize for that. But it's not just that there's a lot of things to say. We also, this is one of those subjects that we have a lot of things that we're not supposed to say. Communion and differences about beliefs regarding communion are sharp between churches, between denominations. The Ministerial Association here in Washington is a, a group of, of people that get along really well for a ministerial association. We, we have a blessing of having most of the pastors in our community come to the meetings and, and they're part of it. And we do, we do events together throughout the year. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And we talked about two years ago about perhaps doing communion at one of our events. And about 35 minutes later, when we, had, we were still talking about all the different issues that could come up and, and who could be part of it and who couldn't be part of it in some, in some churches and who could administer it and who couldn't and what you could say and couldn't say, we just figured this is a really bad idea and we should set it aside. Because the differences between church groups, between denominations, when it comes to communion are sharp. And there's a reason for that. It's because we all believe that it's something important and we're all trying to be faithful to what Scripture says. So we're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit, but one of the things that I want to do is I want to I tell you what I mean by something. I'm going to call communion a symbol probably several times this morning. And I want you to know what I mean by that. Everyone knows what a symbol is, right? A symbol is a thing that stands for something else. But that doesn't make it small or unimportant. In fact, so much of our lives, so much of the, the meaning we get from things is brought to us by symbols. Symbols are powerful, powerful things. I thought about having a couple of pictures to run through some of the symbols that we all know very well that just sort of bring forward some of those emotions. I decided not to, but I, I do want to draw your attention to one that is something that's very powerful for me. For those of you who are married, you have a wedding ring, most of you. And for some of you, I'm sure that the wedding ring is, it's just, it's just a piece of metal. But I would wager that even though it's just a piece of metal, if you were to just throw it away, there might be someone that would have something really strong to say about that, right? If, if you lose it and don't look for it, you might have someone that that's really bothered by that disregard for this thing that is nothing but a symbol. And the reason for that is because even though it's a symbol, it's, it's very important. 
When I was teaching uh, the youth group, this was a number of years ago, we were going through a story in Exodus where, um, where Moses comes down, right? And he's got the, he's got the two tablets for the Ten Commandments. And, and God's people have just made an idol, a golden calf. And they've just rebelled against the, all the Ten Commandments they'd just been given. They didn't make it a month. And they're in the middle of this pagan ceremony. And, and I was trying to explain how sharp, and terrible this was. And so I had bought a $15 silver ring from Walmart that kind of superficially looked like my wedding ring and, and had it on, and I talked with the kids about it. And, and so to kind of make the point of what was happening, I put it on the table and I took a hammer that I had set there and I hit the, the ring with a hammer and I threw it across the room. And I looked up and everyone's face was just really really wide, and, and I assured them at the end of the sermon that that wasn't actually my ring. But the, the, the point was they understood that that's just a powerful symbol. Symbols matter. So when we talk about the Lord's Supper, when we talk about communion, we say it's a symbol. I don't want you to hear me say that it's small. That's not what that means. So communion is a symbol. And one of the things that kind of draws our attention to the different things that, that the communion symbolizes is the different names we have for it. Have you ever noticed that we have a lot of things that we call communion? We call it communion or, or the Lord's Supper. Maybe you've heard the Eucharist. There's other names that, that other denominations will have as well, but those are the three most common. And the thing that's very neat about it is each of those names can kind of draw your attention to something different, a different part of communion. And so we're going to look at those three and kind of see what, what each one points to, what each one symbolizes for us. So I want to start with the Lord's Supper. When you hear the Lord's Supper, how, what part of communion should that draw you to? I think as I've done some, some thinking about that name and, and kind of how it shows up in the book of 1 Corinthians, that that draws our attention to the fact that we are remembering something that really happened in the past. The Lord's Supper symbolizes what, what, it, what this meal, this practice, has to do with our past. It's to remind us first and foremost about Jesus and about his last supper with his disciples. And you know that story. They sat around the table, and, and we know it so well because we think about it when we, we take communion, but we forget sometimes why. They were celebrating Passover, which is just such a wonderful and powerful thing. Passover was the meal that, that God's people celebrated. They took together to remember when God saved them, when he brought them out of Egypt. And it was a, a reminder that they weren't different than the people that God had brought them out of Egypt. They were one people who worshipped the same God. It was a celebration of his salvation of his people. And Jesus uses that opportunity to give us this meal, this practice. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of God's acts in history. And it reminds us that we're part of the same faith, the same people who sat around that table with Jesus that night. 
When we take communion, it's just not us here taking communion. We take it and remember and are part of the church that's practiced it ever since that night with Jesus around that table. It's a remembrance that he's our Lord and we belong to him. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26 to 28. So if you can get there with me, or you can just follow along on the screen. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. He says when we, when we take the Lord's Supper, we should take a moment to examine our hearts. Why? Because we believe that Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for our sins. That three days later, He was raised from the dead. When we take the Lord's Supper together, we remember Jesus. We remember what God has done through Him. We remember the blessing that we have because of Him. And we participate with the disciples sitting around that table. We commit ourselves to Him. When we take communion together, when we take the Lord's Supper together, we are saying, I belong to Him. The Lord's Supper reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. Another word or another way that we talk about it, aside from the Lord's Supper, we have this, this word communion, and it's my favorite. You hear me use it most often. So the Lord's Supper kind of focuses on what happened in the past, and communion really focuses on what happens in the present as we take this meal that Jesus gave us together. When the Apostle Paul talks about communion, he uses a word that's hard to translate. I want to read 1 Corinthians 10, 14-17 for you. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. That word participate or participation, it's hard to translate. In the, the older versions, it said communion instead. It's a word I like a lot. It's a word some of you have heard me talk about a lot. It's the word koinonia in the original language. And finding an English word for it is tough. It means something like a deep connection or profound community. It means a close participation, a communion. When we use this word, Communion, we're, we're remembering something specific that it means. When, you, when, Paul, when Paul talks about 
one loaf. That's something that's hard for us to picture because we don't actually share one loaf. There are a lot of us, and having one large piece of bread passed around to all of us is just not something we do partly be or mostly because of time. It's not very practical. But if you think about one piece of bread, the Apostle Paul says, as we, all, we, are, we who are many are one body, we all share one loaf. If you think about one loaf or one piece of bread, you think about each individual piece of grain that makes up a piece of bread. We, all of us, are kind of like those little pieces of grain that makes up the bread, or the loaf of bread. And, and because we, we kind of all have that in common, we're one. And if, if, if one part of a piece of bread were to be bad, were to be rotten, were to, were to not taste the way it was supposed to taste, it could, it could affect the way that, that the whole thing was, right? One bad piece of a loaf would, would kind of ruin the whole loaf of bread for a person. You wouldn't, when your bread starts to go moldy, you don't, uh, well, maybe you do, but many of us get rid of that bread at that time and get a new piece, right? When, when, it's, when, when part of the bread is bad, the whole thing is, is going bad. I kind of got lost there. I apologize. But what I'm saying is this. Who we are, how we treat one another, how we act, what we say, the way we live our lives as Christians matters. Because all of us together, we make up this body of Christ. And so, as all of us kind of make up the, the body, make up the loaf of bread, your part in that is important. The way we treat one another is important because we represent Him. We're one. And so as we go through our lives, as we love one another and we do that well or we do that badly, as we represent Jesus and we do that well or we do that badly, and all of us do both, How we live, how we represent, how we are that piece, that piece of grain inside a piece of bread, that, that piece of bread inside a loaf. How we live that way matters. When we take communion, we are proclaiming not only that we belong to him, but we're saying that we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the group that represents him to the world. When we take communion together, we're reminding ourselves to the commitment we make to love one another, to honor one another, to be used by him, to tell others about him, to share the gospel. When we take communion, remember that here and now commitment we have to the Lord Jesus. It's not just a past thing that he did for us. And it's not just a future thing that we will get to go to heaven and be with him forever. It's a now thing too. So we, we have the Lord's Supper, which reminds us of the past. And we have communion, which kind of reminds us of our commitment in the present. And the other one I want to talk about is the word Eucharist. Eucharist. 
It comes from a Greek verb. I know you all love it when I, when I talk twice about Greek in one sermon, so you're welcome for that. The word is eucharisteo, and it means to give thanks. And when, when Paul talks about Jesus giving thanks, that's where we get this word, Eucharist. The Eucharist is about giving thanks. And I want to tell you, the Lord's Supper kind of reminds us about what Jesus did in the past. Communion kind of reminds us about our commitment in the present. And the Eucharist reminds us of our hope for the future. We use this word to remember the blessing of salvation we have because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we use this word to remember where we are going. One thing that's so important about our faith is that all of us are going somewhere. All of us are becoming something. God is at work in you. And the scriptures tell us that when we come to belong to him, that we are made new. We are new creations. We're being changed from the inside out. And that's a process that will go on forever. And because of that, we will dwell with him forever. It's the hope of the new creation. And the Eucharist is a word that reminds us of, of, of our thankfulness for that promise, that eternal promise we have in him. And there's a picture in Scripture of kind of what we're, what we're becoming part of, what we're preparing ourselves for what we're looking forward to when we take the Eucharist together. In Revelation chapter 19, there's this picture of a wedding banquet. And the wedding is Jesus and his bride. That's the church. That's you and me. I want to read verses 6 through 9 from Revelation 19. They say this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our lord god almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear fine linen stands for the righteous acts of god's people then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. When we take communion together, we are looking forward to something. And I don't mean looking forward to in the way you look forward to what you're going to do this afternoon or, or the way you look forward to an event that's coming that you're excited about. I mean, we fix our hearts and our attention on the wedding banquet of the Lamb. The new creation, the coming together of heaven and earth, the hope that we have for the future with God. When we take communion, we give thanks for where we're going. We give thanks for what we're becoming for being part of the bride of Christ. Communion is a time that we, we remember the Lord's Supper. And we look to the past 
to what Jesus has done and how that matters to us still today. And it's a time when we think about the present commitment we have as part of the body of Christ to honor Him and to love one another. And it's a time where we give thanks as we look forward, as we look ahead, as we set our hearts on the day that Jesus returns. Finally, at the end of things, the resurrection happens and heaven and earth come together and the eternal life begins. Communion is a time where all of those things are present at the same time. It's a rich symbol. It's full of so much meaning. And when we take it here in a little bit, I want to challenge you to check your heart. To give thanks for for the things that God has done in the past and to ask yourself to recommit Do I belong to Him? Am I covered by the sacrifice of Jesus? And to check your heart. I'm part of the body of Christ. Am I living the way that I'm supposed to live? Am I being part of the loaf, part of the bread, in the way that I'm supposed to be? Loving Him and loving others. And to set your heart on the future that God has made and prepared for us. The future that's coming one day when eternity begins. The wedding banquet of Jesus and His bride. Communion is an opportunity for us to do all of these things. It's a reminder. It's a proclamation and a telling and a remembering of the Gospel. So when we take it today, my encouragement to you, is to check your heart and set it on the future, on God's new creation. Pray with me. Father, we come before you thankful for blessings, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And God, we thank you for this practice that you've given us, this Lord's Supper, this communion, this Eucharist. And as we prepare to take it this morning, we ask that you would convict us. If there are things in our heart, if there are sins that have hold of us that you want us to repent of, Lord. Since we belong to you and you've called us to turn away from those things which dishonor you, that you give us the strength to do that, to repent to recommit to you. And Lord, that you'd call to mind, that you'd nurture inside of us this hope that we have, this promise of a forever life with you. The confidence we can have in where you are taking us, where we are going. So that as we go through the difficulties we have in life, the poor health, the struggles with sin, struggles with worldly needs and issues, 
that we cannot lose sight of what's coming in the future. Your new creation. We love you and praise you. In your son's holy and precious name, amen.